Hello and welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon with Marie and Drake. I am Marie. I'm a fantasy YouTuber. I have a channel called Just In Time Worlds and a fantasy author. And with me, as always, is my co-host Drake. I am Drake, um, or Maxwell Alexander Drake, but I go by Drake. I'm an award-winning author. I was the former lead fiction writer for Sony's EverQuest Next. I'm writing for a video game now. I've done pretty much every medium that there is, everything from movies to TVs to stage plays to graphic novels to tabletop games. There's there's almost, I don't think there's a single medium that I haven't written in that's, that's at least related to fantasy. And then I teach writing all over the world. So today we are going to talk about writing character relationships, the various kinds of character relationships that you can write and what to think about and word choices. We're also going to have another trope talk. We're going to talk about the insta-love trope, so stay tuned for that. But before we get into that, (laughs) before we get into that, if you want to help us out here, if you want to make sure we keep creating this stuff, please do hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube or add us to your favorites if you're listening to us on the podcast. And like us, share us, leave a review, drop a comment, do something to help the algorithm know that you're finding value in this content so that our machine overlords can know that they should spread this content to other viewers. Really, if you're enjoying this, why are you being selfish? Why aren't you sharing this with your friends? Like, what what kind of person are you? That's just wrong. So let's talk about the insta-love trope. So first, the insta-love trope is basically two people meet and they immediately fall in love. And, you know, that love becomes obviously central to their lives and central to their romantic connection to each other. What are your feelings on the insta-love trope, Drake? So first of all, from a story standpoint, the reason why it is a trope is because it works really, really well. We have a very condensed amount of time to, to, to pull something off. The story of me and my wife. How we met was because I was trying to help my best friend date her. I was Casanova. And I tried for a year to get my friend somewhere in the realm of dating her. And when he finally dropped out of the picture, I had... I had done so much that I was literally the three of us were doing things every week because I was trying that hard to get them together. So every Sunday they would both show up at my place and we, the three of us would go do something and I'm constantly trying to whatever. And so one Sunday he didn't show up the next Sunday he didn't show up the next Sunday, but she's always showing up still because this was the way it was. And by that point, this is a year later, we're really good friends. And so, you know, because of my honor, I don't see her as anything but a eunuch. And so I talked to him, I'm like, dude, you know, she's still coming to my place every week. What are you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not even not even interested. Like, but that's that's a year long getting to know her as a friend, because, again, the way my honor works is if you are the wife, the girlfriend, even the interest of somebody that I care about, you are not on my radar. You do not exist as a opposite sex person to me. You are just another thing. You know, and I don't mean it like that. I mean, like another dude, if you want to say it like that. Um, there's no nothing. And so it's funny because after our first date night, um, she came over for pizza one night and she never left 25 years later. She still is here. So it was really good pizza, I guess. But that next morning I was like, you know, the only problem I have is this whole situation with my friend. And she's like, what situation? I'm like, the fact that he's been trying to date you for a year. And she was like, what? No, he hasn't. I'm like, didn't he say this? Didn't he do this? Didn't he like all the advice that I gave him? And she's like, no, no, had no idea. Never even knew he even had any interest in me. And I'm like, oh, that jerk. Uh, but 
25 years later, we're still together and we have two kids and it's all amazing. But that's the, op- I mean, that's more realistic. Now me and my, she's not my first wife. So me and my first wife, we did kind of meet that way. And she was this gorgeous little Southern belle, blonde headed, curly hair, petite, you know, nice little Southern belle bod to her. And it didn't take long, but we were married. I don't, I don't remember, um, but I'm pretty sure we were married fairly quickly after that first time we met. Um, but again, she's my first wife. And so that's another reality that I think about with the insta love. And rarely do they actually say that in stories. There's, there's one thing that always impressed me in speed. They actually go down this path because um, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock are like at the end of it, they've, they've gone through this traumatic thing. And, and I don't know which character says it, but one of them says, you know, People who start a relationship after this, it never works out. And so I, I thought it was really nice that they acknowledged a little bit of realism there, that it wasn't just this, you know, we met on this bus that was going to explode and now we're going to be married forever. It's going to be awesome. Like, what we don't know that? anything about each other. We have no idea if, if, like, I could be a devout Christian and you could be a devout you know, Satanist. What is really funny about Speed specifically was Speed 2. There was only one of the, I can't remember which one of the two of them, but there was only one of the two of them. And it was obvious that no, in fact, they hadn't lost. <laughs> yeah. So getting, you know, kind of getting back to my original thing, it, 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 it is a limited medium. And also it's, it's, especially this is overused in my opinion in romance, but romance in and of itself is fantasy fulfillment for the reader, period. Like, especially like erotica. Erotica is just about making you feel gushy inside. You don't care about the characters. You don't care about the relationship. You don't care about the world. You don't care about anything. It's why, you know, and I've said this when I speak at romance conferences, I've said that romance writers are the most forgiving readers that exist on the planet. You could literally not even write English. And they're like, but I felt gushy inside. So I'm good. You're, you're fine. I don't care that you don't even know what an adverb is like, doesn't even matter to me. And then you flip over to my genre, you know, with epic fantasy and like, you missed a comma. We will burn your house down. And it's like, damn, guys. Take it, take it easy. Uh, so it's just it's a different fan base. And so the insta love, when you have a fan base that is the most forgiving fan base, mm-hmm. they don't care about the realism they don't care about i mean they want you know i'm not i'm being general here don't send me hate mail and say i am a romance reader and i absolutely love realism great yes you do not saying that everybody but as a genre of readers they are the most forgiving when it comes to writing mistakes plot mistakes stuff like that and also it's a genre of fantasy fulfillment and everyone fantasizes about walking into that building store concert whatever locking eyes with someone across the 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 room knowing they're your soulmate and then you know having that courtship getting together and then just living happily ever after i will say that like what i really appreciated about frozen the first frozen was Mm -hmm. the way that they called out like how ridiculous it is that you know the prince like anna meets the dude i forget what his name was hans Crystal, you know, Hans, whatever, the, the prince. And Elsa's like, you can't marry him. You've just met him. What is, you know, wrong with you? So I really did appreciate that because I'm not a huge fan of the insta-love trope in general. It always feels to me like, yes, people do fall in love like that, but 
how many of those relationships last? Now, in defense of insta-love, my sister met her husband like that. And they were dating the next day after meeting. They were married within a year of meeting each other. And I think they're celebrating their 40th anniversary or some such like really big amount. Maybe not 40th. Uh, 30th, maybe anniversary fairly soon. Impressive. You know, so um, and they have two boys, they have a great relationship, they've got a fantastic family, you know. So it's not completely unrealistic to say insta love can't work. I have an example in my family, but I don't think the majority of insta love should, and I don't think the majority of your relationship should be insta love, like everything else. I think that you know vary the things up sometimes mm-hmm. with like you it, it's a friendship my my husband and I used to fight like like a cat and dog over various things <laughs> we, we we met via internet forum where we were battling each you know because fighting with strangers over the internet is what you should do with your life you know <laughs> and um, and and when we met in real life we found out that the, the fights are fine you know we the fights are enjoyable in real life. So you know, people meet in different ways and they fall in love for different ways. So there's nothing wrong with having an insta-love. Just don't have all insta-loves. Right. It, again, it depends on the story that you're telling. It depends on the genre that you're in. It depends on whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a trope. You know, one of the reasons why we talk about tropes all the time is it's not that we're saying don't use these tropes. Mm-hmm. It's that we're saying know that they exist and then maybe it works that you actually use them. But, you know, one of the things that I use tropes for is to basically paint a picture for my readers where they go, oh, I've seen this. I've seen this before. I'm very comfortable with this. And then it just takes a left turn at Albuquerque and they're like, wait, where did that come from? I thought I was on a road and now I'm free falling. And so, you you know, I love painting. I love what I call it is I love taking advantage of a reader's preconceived notion. And so as the ultimate fantasy fan, I know what my fantasy readers are going to think if I do X or if I do Y. And so I will do X knowing that they're going to go, oh, okay, this is comfortable. This is cool. I've, I've read this before. This is great. And then literally just take it in a different direction. And they're like, oh, I did not see that coming. And so, you know, the insta-love is kind of the same thing. It is silly in my mind to, to do it. Uh, and maybe it's just because of my background. Uh, you know, I had the one insta-love that failed miserably. To even go even further, I don't remember when we met. It was sometime in the spring. But I do know that our first date was March 8th. I proposed to her on March 8th. And we got married on March 8th. Because I'm the romantic. And also I'm lazy. So I always know all those dates because they're all the same date. They're just different years. But they were each one year apart. So... You know, we knew each, we were friends for a year. We dated for a year. We were engaged for a year. So a lot of time to get to know each other and make sure that yeah. that this is where I wanted to go. Because I don't want to make the, another mistake, you know, mm. wasn't anything I was interested in. So, yeah, it just depends on on the type of character. And I like, you know, relationships that take longer. I think it has more satisfying to the reader. Now, of course, I write things that are 1.5 to 3 million words long. So I've got a lot of time to develop a relationship as opposed to when I'm writing one of my romance novels, which is 80,000 words long, start to finish and done. I will say with the insta-love trope as well, like if you want to make it feel realistic, 
it's absolutely fine that they fall into insta-love. But they should still experience ups and downs of the relationship. Because, sure, they've fallen in love. That doesn't mean that all the problems of the relationship has, you know, gone away. Like, that doesn't mean they're never going to fight. And that's the part that I find both unrealistic and makes me want to throttle the author. So I'm like, okay, cool. They've fallen into love. Like, their eyes met. The music played. The flowers gleamed. You know, there were rose petals drifting down from the sky. Fantastic. What do they do when they disagree? Oh, no, they never disagree. Oh, they never disagree. When did that happen? And that's uh, also bad as a from a story standpoint because there's no complication. Yes. And if there's no complication, there's no drama. Right. So why do I want to read your story? Sort of like when I'm giving it's off the subject, but the same. Uh, when I'm giving my character creation story, my character building uh, mm. class, someone will inevitably say, when I say something about even your tertiary characters need to feel real and that, like they can walk off the page, someone will inevitably go, well, wait a minute. I work in an office with people that are literally cardboard cutouts. Why Why is it unrealistic to, have, to, to not also have a cardboard cutout? And I say, oh, it isn't unrealistic. It's just that I don't want to read about the people that I work with because they are cardboard cutouts. Like, I'm going into this for entertainment. You're not going to entertain me off of people that are cardboard cutouts. So that's why you don't want your tertiary characters just to be these rubber stamp things. Yeah. And I think that leads us nicely into the main topic for today, which is writing character relationships. I think that one of the biggest things to talk about here, and we're not just talking about romantic relationships. No. But one of the biggest things to talk about here is the impression created in your reader's mind based on things like your verb choices and your POV's description of the people that they're looking at, interacting with, and so on. <clears throat> because if you're depicting, say, a mentorship relationship, but you put romantic overtures in it, and you kind of start creating a weird impact on the reader where they're like, okay, is this a mentorship relationship or a romantic relationship? Now, maybe it's both, not judging if that's the case, but there are readers who will be like... What are you talking like, about? There's never been a college professor that had sex with one of his students. <laughs> never happened. That can't happen, right? And, they, and if, they, if it did, they always turn out great. <laughs> that, always. Exactly. The guy's, the guy's wife completely understands. You know, she's now in her late 40s. The, the other chick is 21. I mean, you get it. It's just a replacement. And we, you know, we replace our cars, too. Like, it's not a big deal. It always works out well for everybody. everybody right. Can... It's, it's great work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The point is that you want to know how you're depicting relationships. And you actually, Drake, you have a great story about this, so... Yeah. So this was early, early on in, in my private group. Um, I had a girl that was writing this fantasy thing that she brought to group and she just read the opening chapter, which is this brother, sister, the sister is the POV character. And this is brother, sister. They're out on the farm. They're doing their farming stuff. And after she finished reading the way I run my writer's group is I go last. So we go around the room and everybody we do first, we do an overall where everybody says overall, this is something I think you did wrong overall, or this is something I think you did right overall. And then once we go around the room for that, then we go into the line edits and we still go, we go page by page. So page one, everybody talks, page two, and so on and so forth. 
So on the overall, everybody's like, oh, this, that, and the other thing. And it got to me, and nobody had said this, because that's why I go last, is I'm kind of the, the catch-all. Anything you guys miss, I'm going to throw out. And so my thing was, um, so uh, this brother and sister, they're having sex. And the author was just mortified that I said that. But all the other people in the group, all five of the, or all four of the others were like, oh, thank you for saying that. Because yes, 100% they're having sex. I just didn't want to say it. And of course, the author was like, no. No, they're not. And I'm like, yes, they are. This this is not friendly brother-sister banter between these two. This is sexually charged. I'm going to stick it inside of you when we get home tonight, sis. Mm. You know, banter. And so, yeah, and, and it was the words that she used and, and kind of the the different things of the the sideways glances and the 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 little the just all those little things. I can't think of what it is because it was years ago, but it was you know, it was all those things that make you go, oh, there's something, you know, because again, we write for subtext. We're always writing for something. We talked about that uh, in the world building uh, podcast that we were talking about where you can just flat out, you know, go through and explain world building, or you can actually use some things where the reader is inferring stuff based off of the way you're saying and the way you're creating the sentences, the word choices that you're using. And relationships are the same way. And if you use words that infer that that there is a little deeper relationship going on here than we're going to put on the surface then your audience is going to be looking for that yeah so yep. you've got to be careful with with certain things even in your mind if it's completely innocent um you know it's still the way you know for for me i try to pay attention to you know platonic male female relationships relationship between parents and children can sometimes be well one of the things is people can always take things wrong yeah. just like every time i tell a joke i do know that someone out there is going to be offended by that joke because everybody gets offended by something but i don't care if, if if one person or a small group of people is offended by something that is not offensive in any way shape or form to everybody else then you know they it's their problem not mine just like you said earlier with your story and i think yes so so this is something that happened to me is I, I had one beta reader. So there's a, there's a scene where um, the the one character, a child climbs into bed with her mentor character. So the child's a girl, the, the mentor character's male. But the child's like 10, right? And she's looking for comfort. She's had a bad experience. She's, you know, it's it's been a rough day. And she climbs into bed with her mentor character. And there is... I mean, there is nothing that I've written in there that is remotely sexual. She cuddles up next to him. He holds her. They have a very short conversation. She falls asleep. That's it, right? I don't even, I don't mention anything below the chest level, you know, because it's not like he's not lying there with, you know, an erection or anything stupid like that. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, that, that would be disturbing, right? Oh, yeah. But I had one person, one beta reader who said, you know, there's nothing innocent about a 10-year-old in a grown man's bed. And I was like, you're, okay, you're one. Out of all the people who've read this, you're the only person who's expressed any kind of doubt about this. I'm going to disregard that because I think you're bringing your baggage into the story mm -hmm. too much, mm -hmm. you know, because a 10-year-old can absolutely have an innocent relationship with a person of the opposite sex. 
I'm not saying all 10-year-olds do, but it there there can be a non-sexual relationship there um, and somebody who needs comfort at, at a point in time. So you do need to be aware that, you know, people will bring their own baggage and sometimes they will read things that absolutely are ridiculous. But it, it's it's a, it's that 80-20 rule, right? If it's 20% of the people, well, probably they misunderstand a bit. If it's more than that, you've you've probably written it in a way that you didn't intend to. And now people are reading the subtext and going, Ooh, look at that brother and sister. We're looking at a Jamie Searcy situation here. But even if it's 20%, I would challenge you to, because it is an actual simple thing just to go back, look at the actions, look at the verbs that, that they're, that you're using between the two in the relationship, because you can, you can change a verb without, changing the sense i mean in the english language we have 30 verbs that mean the exact same thing they do evoke different emotions and visions in the reader's head so you can take a verb you well, can go you can go snuggle or you can go cuddle to me those are the same thing what i was going to use is uh in your example he caressed her back versus you know he patted her on the back or something like that like there those there's those two actions are very different Yes. So that's what you can do is you can go, okay, did I do anything that could, could I tone down some of these actions? You know, in, in, like, I always talk about, even in something like describing a kiss, right? So his cool lips touched her forehead. Okay. Describes a very kind of chaste kiss. His breath caressed her skin as his lips gently slid over, over the, you know, her forehead. Like these two things describe a very different kiss. Right. It's the same action, but it's it's a different <laughs> it's a yeah. different feeling that's evoked. And you have to look at subtext, you know, because first of all, every writer should be pushing themselves to try and write subtext. And subtext is actually very, very, very difficult. It's so typical. It's one of the only topics that I have said I'm going to create a class on that I still have yet to create a class on because it is very esoteric and it is very complicated, but I'm working on it. I mean, it's, it's something I've been working on for about eight years now to kind of come up with a really good way to explain subtext in a 45 minute class. Haven't, haven't gotten there yet, but I'm working on it. But you do, not only do you want to have subtext, it actually helps you write. You, you're, what you're doing with subtext is you're using 10 words or whatever. I'm just pulling an arbitrary number. You're using 10 words to tell what 50 words would be needed to tell. Like you're really helping yourself if you really become good at subtext and, and learning how to use that subtext. But this may be the only time that I ever say toning down might be the appropriate thing. Because, you know, for me, I'm always looking at going for 11. You know, how can we make it worse? How can we make it more violent? How can we make it more emotional? How can we make it more painful? How can we make it more pleasurable? How can we make it more, you know, I'm always, it's drama, 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 drama. But there are some cases like, a 10-year-old girl snuggling up to a 35-year-old man who is not a blood relative and they're in a bed, you know, if it is a completely plutonic relationship and he just loves her like a daughter and would never even consider, I mean, it didn't come in, it's not even, he didn't even consider whether he would consider no, doing something. It, it was not literally. something that would occur to him. No, it's, you know, and for parents out there that know what it's like, you just no. don't even, it's just the way it is. Um, and I laughed I, earlier. I laughed because I think you didn't when you when you were talking about the, mm. the 
the pitch in the tent. Um, <laughs> I laugh because I, at least once in my memory, but it might have even happened more than that, where me and the wife have put the kids to bed. We're now having adult time in the bed. And then the little little hand knocks on the door. I had a nightmare. And it's like, OK, come cuddle. And it was always me. Because uh, like I said, I'm the romantic in a relationship. And so now I've got a child in the bed with me and I'm still kind of, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, we only finished like or we didn't even finish yet. We were halfway through and it's like that was five seconds ago. It takes a little longer for things to, to you know, kind of calm down, <laughs> calm down. And so I'm trying to position myself in a weird way. And um, so that's why I laugh, because that vision popped into my head. And if there are any parents out there, you know, it might have happened to you, too. Um, but it's, there's nothing sexual about it. It's just embarrassing as hell. And yeah. you want to keep the, the child as innocent as possible, in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that made me laugh because weird things happen. You know, you're, you're a family and people need comfort at different times and mm. not always at the most appropriate time for you, but still, yeah, like you do want to look at this. If somebody does, even if only one person told me that I would go back and just really focus in on the actions yeah. and how I describe them to with the eye of is there subtext? Cause you know, sometimes you write something that has subtext and you didn't realize it. I absolutely do subscribe to that. And, and what I, I mean, what I did in that situation is I took that scene and I took it to a couple of different readers and I said, read this again. And because sometimes you can't see it as the author, mm-hmm. I was like, read it again and make sure for me that I have no hints of not innocence here a real world example and of course these podcasts don't necessarily come out in the order that we record them but in the religion podcast i talked about how the i got so many fan mails on these two brothers father who is just a tertiary character that's a farmer and just a good honest man and i got so many emails saying oh i see what you're doing with him he's gonna be this he's gonna be that he's gonna be way bigger in the story than what what you're what you're saying and it's because i wrote a bunch of subtext in there that i didn't realize that I was I was just trying to write a a father who was a very good man and a very good inspiration and a very good base that these boys built their moral compass off of so that when they got out in the world the readers would understand kind of why they made the decisions they made and so on and so forth and why they would struggle against other decisions but the subtext was still there that the character was going to be used in the story much more than what he actually is used in the story um, now, I don't want to change that. That's good subtext. And I'm fine with my readers thinking that he's going to be more than what he is. But, you know, if I've got an innocent little 10 year old girl crawling in bed with her mentor and it's completely, you know, he loves her like a daughter. I do not want the subtext that readers might be going. Mm, he, he might be doing something inappropriate there. Yeah. Like, I don't want that. And so that's what we're talking about here is you just really want to pay attention to the to how you describe actions. Actions are what is going to have the subtext between those. Yeah. flip side of that is let's say you have two that would like to be in a relationship but they don't want to you know both of them are terrified that the other one doesn't feel that way they whatever so now you can use subtext to allow the reader to go oh man this is such a sexually charged scene but neither one of them realize that the other one likes them that's really interesting and again it's about adding drama so it just depends on what you're doing and so subtext is very very important but if you're going to do that, if you're going to introduce that element of tension, right, if you're going to say like, you know, that the um, Drake and Marie for arguments like, and we're both happily married. So 
don't read anything into this. And, but, and also 11,000 miles away from <laughs> But, you know, Drake and Marie find themselves in a hotel bed and, you know, there's this moment. It would not work if all you've seen is the podcast of Drake and Marie talking at 11,000 miles apart and never interacting in any sexually charged fashion. You have to layer relationships. You know, you can't just go, we go from here to here. Right. You know, it's got to be, an, like with character growth, a relationship has to grow Well, to reach that point. Or, but it's it's got to be, like it's a plot so device. It needs so I, so I agree with that on that scale, but yeah. but the reason why I was going to play devil's advocate on that is it can it can absolutely go the other way with just being primal or whatever. Hmm. Um, so as an example, this is a true story that happened to me probably about five years ago, maybe, hmm. you know, I do Gen Con every year. I didn't, I'm not doing it this year because I'm recovering from cancer. Um, this will be the first year that I've actually missed Gen Con other than the shutdown years because it didn't happen. Um, but you know, I just physically, I want to have more time to recover and I'm going to do it next year. But about five years ago, no one. So normally hotels are really hard to get. And if, you know, because of the fact that I just have access to to things, let's just say that. And no one normally, if somebody's like, I, I need a roommate, I can't afford it, whatever. I'm like, well, I'll just get a double room and, and you can have one bed and I'll have the other bed. Well, this one year worked out to where nobody hit me up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a king bed. I'm going to, this was like one of the first times that I'll be at Gen Con by myself and blah, 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 blah. And then a writer friend hit me up like literally a week before Gen Con, I was like, man, I really, I have no place to stay. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever. Now this writer's a female mm. and she is single. And I'm like, but my wife knows my relationship and you know, everything else. And so it's also do you, you, it also comes down to the characters based on what I'm saying. So if we characterize it, we fictionalize that story and we know the character of Drake, we know that Drake has this really high sense of honor and duty and goes crazily out of his way to live by this code and has proven it time and time and time and time again throughout his entire the story so far. Then we know that even if this was in there and the, and let's say and this didn't happen, but because she is also you know, a good person or whatever, but let's say she was like, I'm not, I'm going to take so much advantage of this because I've been wanting to boff Drake for, you know, the whole years that I've known him. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that is as sexually charged as possible so that something happens between us. That's drama and that's complications. So if I'm writing a story, temptation is a great, great thing to throw at your characters because sometimes death doesn't work. So like if you're writing a Conan story, Conan's not going to die. His name is on the cover. So, but will Conan break a promise? Will Conan break a, you know, a vow? Those are things that you don't know. So if I'm writing that scene, I might, you know, I probably definitely would because I try to make everything as hard as possible if Drake is my main character. Um, now, of course, in the real world, we actually, and we only did this because she said, sometimes I've been known to punch people in my sleep. So I built a pillow wall between us, not because I was worried about, you know, anything else i built it because i really was afraid she was gonna punch me in the mouth at some point that night because she was like i don't sleep with anybody so every once in a while when i've slept with people i've accidentally punched them and i'm like also yeah i'm gonna put a wall like i don't want to get punched in the face um but so that it also depends on the character develop a character that's just a, a piece of crap that we've already seen him cheating on his wife many times during the scene or you know the story so far then we could go the other route where she might be happily married, you know, this other person 
And now this Drake character tries everything in his power to, to take it there. So all I'm saying is, is that the, the act of physical sex doesn't necessarily mean a relationship. No, absolutely. No, no. And I, I mean, I subscribe to that and I believe in that. But yeah. what I'm saying is so far, what you've seen of Drake and Marie's relationship has been this podcast. To then go from there to like hot hanky panky in a in well, a not even that. I would go with uh, they both <laughs> file for divorce yeah. and move to uh, you know whatever's in between us, England or France or whatever. Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> That's Hopefully another not. reason why you'll know that we're not going to get together because she lives in nothing but snow and I live in nothing but heat. <laughs> so we're we're I don't think we'd be compatible on that level. Um, we're compatible in a lot of ways, though, but <laughs> um, but not that. I like my heat. Um, well, just last week when we were talking off air, um, it was 72 degrees where she's at, and she was complaining about how hot it is. It was and I'm hot. like, well, it's, well, it's like it's 115 <laughs> here, and we keep our air conditioning at 78. So our air conditioning where we're cool and comfortable and everything like that is is you know, what, six degrees hotter than what she thinks is scorching hot. So it's hot. Yeah. 72 is hot. It's... <laughs> no, uh, 72 is cold. Uh, <laughs> I would actually have to put on sweats and a, a sweatshirt at 72 degrees. I get your point. It, it's still, if you're going to have an actual relationship, not just a physical tryst, but an actual we're together and we're, we're, mm. we're, you know, have formed this relationship partnership that we're going to go through this life together that's not going to come out of nowhere usually and and again it's going to come down to verb choices right so so let's say you do this let's say you you have characters having a physical like encounter versus characters consummating a love relationship if you, like i i don't write um full-blown erotic scenes i fade to black but if you do and i mean there are fantasy authors who do so you know that some of them i i even love you know, so not throwing stones or anything, but if you do write the write full blown coitus scenes, then depending on the type of sex involved, you should vary your word choices. Like if this is the consummation of a relationship, you should probably go a lot more tender, a lot more like gentle, caressing kind of thing. Whereas if this is a purely physical, like once-off encounter kind of thing, you probably want to go like fairly animalistic and primal and, you know, um, hot and heavy. And selfish. <laughs> and selfish. Because yeah. usually, at least, yeah. you know, because before I was married, back when I was just a single Marine, I can't say that I haven't had a few, even one night stands where I don't, I met the girl that night. I don't remember I don't remember their names, like whatever it, it, you know, that is exactly it. It's looking at the verbs you're using, looking at how you're constructing your sentences. Again, I would see it as a little bit more selfish. You're there to, for a purely physical reason, as opposed to a deep emotional connection. And you do want to layer these in. And a lot of this can be done through subtext. You know, again, the words that you're using, if, if you really want to, to kind of brush up on that, I think the best I've ever taught subtext is when we were doing the world building stuff. So go back to the world building podcast and just watch at the end when I'm going through just a couple paragraphs of world building and no world building actually happens in it. Mm -hmm. 
and yet a ton of world building happens in it because it's all subtext. It's all in the, the verbs that I use, the, the nouns that I called things, uh, how the, the, the scene was structured. All of that leads you to, to really have a fairly good understanding of what this world is, what's in this world. And in case you're just guessing, you're going to learn for a fact as you go deeper and deeper. But in a very short amount of time, I build at least this moment of the world, this little, because you're just in a prison cell. So you get this, but in a very half a page, you've got some pretty big guesses of what type of world this is. And it is, I guess there are two things there that I want to lift out of that uh, conversation. And the one is with subtext, what we mean by subtext and what sub subtext is, is your, your word choices, because that's all an author has, right? You can't actually include tone. The, you know, the, the book can't come out and speak to the reader in the tone of voice that you imagined it's speaking to the reader in. It comes down to the words that you put on the page and the words that you choose to describe the scene with, the words that you choose to describe the person that this person is with. But also things like, like I'm with this person and I now describe all the colors as brighter. And when they're not with me, the colors go duller. I use smaller colors, darker colors to describe the same kind of scene. And that then shows that, you know, in the presence of this person, I feel more alive. I feel more intense, which obviously comes with the subtext of love and romantic love and so on. And maybe like when I'm with, you know, a mentor figure or a parent figure and you describe everything almost as though like the person, despite the fact that it's an adult human being, it uses smaller words or the person uses smaller words because they feel younger in the presence of the adult, you know, be because this has always been an adult figure to them, an authority figure to them. So like that's what you have to think about in terms of putting in subtext is what are your verb choices and what do they show about the person and their relationship with the thing? So that was the one, the one thing I just wanted to highlight there in terms of like why word choices really, really matter here. How do you show that a mother loves a, loves a child? How do you show that a child, you know, loves their parents and, and the different kind of love that this relationship evokes you can only use words on the paper and the other thing is you've got to take it back to the the, the pov remember the pov is looking at somebody and for them you can describe their internal emotions you can say i love you okay you can have them think i love you you can make it explicit but for those non-pov characters you, ha you have to physically show the emotions and you have to show the emotions that they feel towards other characters. And it's going to be a constant thing. This is, man, there are too many characters in fantasy that are stoic and that, you know, clench their teeth on their emotions and never show a single freaking emotion. And it, one or two characters like that in a story, fine. If every single character does not show emotions, you can, you can. <laughs> from with the time we have left, let's move away from romantic relationship interactions yeah. 
to non-romantic, but we and we have touched on a little bit, but what I really want to talk about is one of the things that I kind of push in my training when I'm talking about building dynamic stories is most people, especially younger writers, when I mean younger, I'm not talking about age, I'm talking about how long you've been writing. Um, most younger writers tend to write a lot of stories that are just two people in a relationship, two friends, brother, sister, villain, hero, whatever. And one of the things that I think works really, really well that adds a lot of complications without adding a lot of complexity is taking that relationship into a threesome. And I'm not talking sexual here. We already covered that. So we're talking about just adding another. So you have two girls that are best friends and they, they, they do everything together and they've been, you know, friends since high school and now they're at college together and then they get a third roommate. Or one of them gets a boyfriend. Or one of them gets a boyfriend. It happens. And that now your main character has to adjust to this new dynamic. This, this, you know, sort of happened to me. One of my best friends, the entire time we've been best friends, he's been single. And a couple months ago, he started dating a girl. And I'm like, man, I should never let you allowed you to date because I do not have as much time with you now as I used to. And that really bothers me. Like I get, and, and that's obviously tongue in cheek. I've actually told him that, but it's obviously tongue in cheek because I'm happy for him. But we, we used to joke about it in the geek circles, right? We would say like when, when, a so, so there's very few women in the geek circles for whatever reason. And when a, when a guy gets a boy, gets a girlfriend, he almost automatically leaves the geek circles because she's not a geek. So we never see him again. It's a real thing. It happens. Another side note for you male writers out there. My wife's a geek. Like if you're a geek and you want to have a really good long relationship, find that girl that's a geek. It's a very good, compatible thing. We watch movies together. We watch, we read the same stuff. We laugh at the same jokes. Like, it really does make a good relationship because my first wife, which I already talked about, so I'm going to go ahead and continue that, uh, hated all this stuff, hated combos, hated fantasy, hated reading, hated sci-fi movies, hated anything that had a dragon in it. And while that is not what destroyed our marriage, it, it didn't help that did you didn't help. have a shared interest. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> the last, not the last D&D group because she was too busy, but the D&D group before that, that I was in, she was also in. That was a weird one because it was actually four, it was eight of us and it was four couples, four married couples playing D&D together. That was an interesting uh, group. Interesting but anyway, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So getting back to this, bringing in, you know, that third party to a relationship causes the relationship to have to adjust, to grow, to to accommodate for this new variation that's coming in this new variable that we're gonna that's different from what we are and again we're always looking for uh, for complications and adding a third character doesn't add a lot of complexity everyone knows what a character is everyone knows like oh these two college girls who are the you know inseparable are now getting a third roommate everybody knows what that is it's not adding a lot of complexity but complications or same thing that, that you were just talking about marie you know, I'm now in this role-playing group and we're all having a really good time. And then, you know, John gets a girlfriend and he was the only healer in the group. And now he's never showing up to any of our gaming sessions. He misses 50% of the sessions. Now what? That's a, that is a complication, especially if it's not, if it's like, not what I said, but what you said, mm-hmm. I said he left. That's easy. Cause you just, you, but you what if he, what if he's coming 50% of the time and you like John mm-hmm. now it's like, well, 
don't want to kick him out. He's a friend. But, but like it hurts us yeah. 50% of the time. And so, and no one else likes to play a healer. We all hate healers. He was the only one. Uh, so yeah, it's like, that's now. And, and if, if we I'm, invite somebody else, how's he going to feel? And, you know, is the group now going to be too big on the times when he does pitch up? Like, well, and also, is happen. the new guy going to be compatible with everybody else? Is he going to be as cool as John was as a healer? Or is he going to be, you know, because I've played this. Is he going to be that healer? It's like, oh, you just got your arm bit off by a dragon. I can regenerate that for um, 10 gold. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. We're a party together. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Claire got to eat too. So, you know, and, and you get all of that just off John getting a girlfriend. Right. And the best part is you never have to show the girlfriend. Exactly. You know, the girlfriend could not be in the story or the boyfriend that, you know, in the case of these college girls, they could not be in the story entirely. It's just that now, 50% of the time, the character's missing. <laughs> yeah. They're just missing. Yeah. Um, and so so that's why I like moving from a, um, a bilateral relationship to a trilateral relationship, because it does, for very little complexity, it adds a bunch of complications, depending on how you use it. I mean, obviously, I could also write... John getting a girlfriend and she's a huge geek and loves D&D and also loves to play a, a character that we don't have and just fits in perfectly and literally everybody loves her and she causes no issues and she's one of the yeah sure okay great she's a Mary Sue I don't, why would I want to do that there's no complications there's there. no complications there that's no fun <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not adding that character I, mean, I would love to add that character no. to my actual role-playing group what if she is a big D&D player but she's one of those competitive players. So now she comes to the group and she doesn't work with anyone. She wants to beat you <laughs> at the game that you're that you're yeah. cooperatively playing. And she and she, you know, and she doesn't work with a group at all. And she's bringing like a whole. Now what do you do? Do you kick? You know, so you can get a heap of complications out of it. Just. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. So when I was talking about my best friend, it's it's actually my latest protege, one of the writers of the realm. And he started dating one of the girls who was in my private writing group mm. and happy for him. But I did tell her, I said, you do realize if you two break up, you're out of the writing group. <laughs> I'm keeping him. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so like that's the, in the real world situation, that's what I was presented with. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting rid of my protege. Mm. Like, plus we're writing 20 novels together. Like that ain't happening. I'm sorry. People come and go out of my private group all the time. It'll just, you know, if you guys break up, I'm kicking you out because I don't want that weirdness. Because he's at every one of my writers' groups because he is my protege. She's in, you know, I, I do one every other week, but for me, it's every week. And yeah. so I'm just like, I'm sorry. You'll just have to go find a different writers' group. Yeah. So yeah, it's, but that's real world versus, you know. But it is like it, it, it applies, right? Because it does. When you when you introduce a new dynamic, when a relationship changes or grows or whatever, like a lot changes about your existing relationship. And that change is a growth arc. It's a growth of both the characters and their relationship. And it's something the reader can relate to and feel and go like, how are they going to deal with this? Are they going to are they still going to be friends at the end of this? You know, and because the reader's invested in the character, hopefully, you know, they hopefully that'll matter to them. However. There's a, something very, very, very important about this that we haven't touched on. Mm -hmm. All of this happens because it, the story needs it to happen. The story needs the character to grow in a certain way. So we add a third party that's going to force the character to grow in that way for the story. 
all of it is fake. It's all about the reader. And so what we're doing is we're adding these complications for the explicit purpose to push the human thematic elements that we are trying to push. If and as good as it gets. So so I'll give you I'll give you an example actually. Like if you have a a character who's getting married for politics and plots and whatever and the whole thing was about him making peace with the fact that he's getting into an arranged marriage. And after that it's done. Like that was what the purpose was there. Don't now make his wife a total bitch. You know, who he can't live with. Because why? Unless that's going to be part of your story. Like, don't do that. Have the relationship be a pretty background thing. It's fine. It can be a pretty background thing. <laughs> Unless we need him to go the other way. Yeah. He's going to be forced in this marriage. He accepts it. He does it for king and country. He literally is put in a situation that he cannot survive. He cannot live with. He, But, but it's because the story needs him to not have that good relationship. Again, for me, it's always about the story. What does the story need? Okay, the story needs X. Okay, how do I get X? Sometimes it's adding a third party. Sometimes it's it's maybe killing somebody. Sometimes it's maybe taking something from him or giving him something. Look at uh, Bilbo Baggins. I mean, one of the big driving factors for him is he was given the ring of power, kind of. I mean, he found it on the ground, but still. Uh, the ring gave itself to him. The ring saw him out because it knew it was trapped in Gollum with Gollum down in the caves and it's never going to leave. And it doesn't want that. It wants to go and cause havoc. And so, like... These are the things that drive the story. Why do we do this stuff? Because the story needs it. Mm -hmm. We need to grow the character in a certain way, or we need to hurt the character in a certain way, or we need to reward the character in a certain way, or, or punish the character in a certain way, because the story needs it. So even in a, what we were talking about with the romance, what we were talking about with this, you know, plutonic relationship, you know, adult child relationships, whatever, whatever relationships you're talking about, making the decision on how they interact with each other always starts with why do I need this to react this way? You know, why are they going to react this? So as an example, in the Genesis saga, one of my favorite re relationships that I've ever written is the love story that's in that. And it's between the farm boy and an immortal killing machine that has, that in the beginning of the story has no emotions, no moral compass, nothing. Now her story arc, is that she is getting this stuff. So when he is really interested in her, she's not ready. Like the first time he actually even tries to kind of, first of all, he's, he's 17. So he's, his, his, his game isn't that good anyway. So he kind of flubs that. But he wasn't expecting her to put a knife to his throat. Mm. And actually, she was going to slit his throat and then was like, oh, wait a minute. There's this friendship thing that we're doing, aren't we? Okay, wait, I shouldn't. I don't understand that yet but I'm pretty sure friends don't slit each other's throat. And so that's literally her thinking about what a relationship is, is the only thing that saves his life. He doesn't know this, mm. but to make that a relation, when, when they get to that, when they get to that fourth novel and she says, I love you for the first time as an actual realization that she truly actually loves in the, in the, in every meaning of that word, this human, it's impactful because this is the growth arc that we did. So everything that I do with her and with their relationship and the reason why I even had them have a relationship was not for the relationship. Our, you know, that character needs to grow this psychopath character 
through her arc. And also she does some things that grow him as well, that he needs through his, through the story. So it's not that I went, Oh my God, how cool would it be for this, you know, idiot farm boy to fall in love with a remorseless killing machine. Like that would be a great relationship to write. Uh, on face value, you know, like that would be a lot of complexity and no complication, or, you know, it'd still have complications, but it'd be way more complexity than I would need. But because it grows her so much, because it grows him, because it is so amazing to watch literally a robot. She's not, that's a great way to explain to her. She's a, she's absolutely a, a machine and watch her grow to the point where she truly understands not only what love is, but understand that she is in love. Mm. That is that those complications and what the story gets out of those complications far outweigh the complexity that adding that relationship into the story gives me. And so all of the stuff we're talking about boils down to that. It all boils down to the reason why characters interact the way they do is specifically because the story needs it. And it can go either way. Like and your little thing with the 10 year old girl crawling in, in bed with the adult. Maybe the story needs for him to be a little handsy because for whatever reason, we're pushing some type of thematic element or whatever. You know, I don't write that stuff, but me either. There, there are. But, there, but I mean, Lolita is a, is a fantastically yeah. famous it is, book. It, Lolita is a great book. It's, right. it's even a book. I, I would never I would I never would be never have written it. Right. <laughs> I'm not the author of Lolita. It's not the type yeah. of thing that I'm interested yeah. in exploring in humanity. Yeah. Um, however. That I book had a great story. It did but it, but it also yeah. needs those the relationships between the characters that happen. They need to happen that way. Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing with uh, Speed that we've already referenced in this. Mm. You know, Keanu Reeves and the Sandra Bullock character need to kind of have that sexual tension that are we going to date that kind of thing, because it adds one more layer of what they could lose if everything goes south. And so there's a reason why they have that that kind of sexually tension relationship start building between them. There's an impact for it is, is basically the point. So that's really, you know, we can talk about making sure you watch your subtext, making sure that you push subtext where it needs to be and tone it down where it doesn't need to be. You know, think about the verbs that you're using, the actions that you're describing. Think about bringing in other, you know, characters. But but again, those characters are brought in because they will force something the story needs, not because I'm just going to add a third roommate. She's going to be she's be an alcoholic. I mean, I'm, I'm not discussing alcoholism at all in this book, but why not? It'll just be fun. I have no other reason than that. See, that than that's just not great. No. no. Purposefully. On purpose by design. Whatever right. you're doing, on purpose by design. And I think that is a great perfect note. place to stop. But first, what are you working on these days? So most should know that listening to this, I've been fighting. You know, I fought cancer for the last year. I think the battle is over, but we'll find out next month. So that's put me way behind. But the Snurse of Magical Monster Fairy Tale is one of the most sweet stories that I've ever written in my entire life. It is sort of in a movie script format still, but it's not. It's very enjoyable to read because I added about 50 pages of narration mixed in there, what they're feeling, what their you know, action, stuff like that. But if you do look up Snurse of Magical Magical Fairy Tale on Amazon, you can get a copy of that. And then Drake U is we're trying to get back into that. I haven't started making new videos for it yet, but it is on my docket to start this week or next week. Um, to get that stuff done. And then if you do want to keep up with everything that is coming out, because I got a ton of stuff coming out next year that should have come out this year, starvingwriterstudio.com, join the mailing list. That is the only way that I, you can be sure that when I'm actually going, okay, this is going to drop here and this is going to drop there. It's the only way to make sure you keep up with me and my doings. 
And I have got two books out at this point, The Hidden Blade and The Ducal Air, both of which you can find on Amazon. And of course, my YouTube channel, if you go watch the videos there, um, that'd be great. And we will see you soon for another episode. Bye.